So it's where we focus almost all of our efforts um, because it's a it's one that people can get their head around, um, you know, in terms of value. Um, and it's also one that is notably right now, you know, in short supply, right? Um, you know, in terms of, you know, Edelman does their trust barometer every year. Um, and last year, meaning 2019, uh, I believe was the lowest that it, you know, the barometer had ever been. And so you can feel this, right? <clears throat> you know, even where we sit today. Welcome to Innovation and Leadership, where I interview uncommonly high achievers like top investment fund managers, elite special operations soldiers, startup CEOs who sold their companies for billions of dollars, pro athletes, Hollywood filmmakers, really as many different kinds of experts as I can. The whole idea is to hear how they did it and then what advice they have for the rest of us that can be applied to the organizations we're trying to grow and innovate. Thanks for listening and I hope you enjoyed today's show. And today on the show we've got Robert Rose. Robert, thanks for making time. Absolutely my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, well as I was saying before the show, I, I'm really excited to have you on. Um, you know, we've been following Content Marketing Institute for years and uh, and reading your books. Um, for anybody who doesn't know, you, you should really be going to Amazon or to robert-rose.com and look at, look at his books, Managing Content Marketing, Experiences, and my favorite, uh, Killing Marketing, which we'll be talking about a lot today. Um, but for people, you know, content marketing is extremely well known, but for people who may not know the content advisory, can you, can you tell people about contentadvisory.net? Sure. So, you know, around 10 years ago, I met this guy, Joe Polissi, who I know was also on your show. Um, and uh, he and I formed what became known as the Content Marketing Institute. Um, and it was really the business of trying to evangelize this, at that time, new process of content marketing and specifically, you know, how owned media was really helping to drive a lot of business change. And my role there as chief strategy officer was to do two things. One was to help guide the organization from an educational and curriculum standpoint. Um, and then the second was to work in consulting and education for those clients that actually came in and needed such things. And after the acquisition um, in 2016 uh, of the company, Joe rode off into the sunset and um, I uh, continued on and spun out my own little organization to continue the work I've been doing in consulting as well as education. So workshops, training, corporate training, all of that sort of thing. Um, and called it the content advisory. And so I'm still working closely with CMI and, and their parent company, which is Informa, big media uh, event company. Um, and then I sort of have my own little team running around the planet, helping companies of all sizes sort of figure out how to operationalize content, how to create better content marketing, content strategies, technology, um, all of that sort of thing. And still doing what I've been doing for 10 years, but now doing it under my own little flag instead of just the CMI flag. I love it. Uh, and can you tell people just a little bit about your podcast for a second? Oh, sure. Well, I have two. Um, and so the podcast that we're probably most known for is uh, PNRs, which is Pulitzer and Rose, PNRs, This Old Marketing, um, which we've been doing since uh, 2015, I believe, is our first episode. Um, and um, then we took a little bit of a break during the, uh, the acquisition period, and now we're back. 
And so Joe and I do that every other week now, um, just sort of two chuckleheads talking about, you know, what's going on in marketing and content marketing specifically. Uh, and then with CMI as part of my partnership with them, um, with content advisory, I have another podcast called The Weekly Wrap, which is a news show, which we basically cover news and content marketing and also, uh, you know, what, what's going on and, and uh, hopefully, hopefully some decent thoughts. It's a short little half hour uh, show that we do every week. I love it. Well, um, you know, one of my dirty secrets as a podcaster who's who's been able to have some success is I don't really listen to that many podcasts. I'm a, I'm an audiobook nerd, so my our listeners hear a ton about all the books I listen to. But um, I I uh, your guys's show is is for sure the most religiously listened to by me. Like I I like Tim Ferriss. I like these different shows. I, there's a Bloomberg show my buddy does that I check in. And I'll check certain episodes of lots of different shows, but your guys' show is the only one where I absolutely listen to every show I see. So it's it's been helpful for me because I get to hear your expertise on an ongoing basis. Like, I love your books. We're going to talk a lot about killing marketing especially. But for me, it's so valuable to um, to get the nuances of, you know, there's such and such in the news or there's something you guys have seen. And um, when you're commenting on it, it's like I get the benefit of all this consulting you're doing for the you know biggest brands in the world. You're bringing the context of seeing of sitting in those rooms to this thing. All of us can see the news, but not all of us can understand the implications of it. So I feel like we get like these, I don't know, this extra little insight when you're talking about stuff because you're bringing so much context to it. So I feel like it's a favor to the rest of us. Well, that's very kind of you. I mean, it's, it's so thank you for that. I appreciate that. I mean, that's you know, I mean, look, we we jokingly say that it's just the two of us sort of sitting around and and uh, <laughs> and being snarky about the news. Um, but one of the things, and 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 I'm glad you pick up on it that that I'm probably the thing that I'm most passionate about is the fact that we both, Joe and I, come from practitioner backgrounds. So we are, you know, we're not just um, hosts, but, you know, we actually did the work. Um, he on the media company side and me on the marketing side and continue to do so on the marketing practitioner side with the consulting work that we do. And so we have sat in those rooms. We know, you know, we have actually rolled up our sleeves and continue to roll up our sleeves and, and actually do the work. And I think that's such an important piece of this um, because if you're going to see around corners, if you're going to you know, have any sense of, of, of the ability to look at what's going on from a trend perspective, the I guess the 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 real key there is having you know what what's really going on right what's you know what's actually happening and what's literally just being made up for you know a clickbait headline or or, or something like that versus what is actually happening in these organizations um, and how real people are dealing with it. Yeah, it's um, it's the difference between like sitting around with a bunch of guys who like a sport. You know, I'm an action sports nerd, right? And um, it's like sitting around with a bunch of guys who think it's entertaining to watch a sport and everybody gives their opinions versus sitting in the room with somebody who was a professional at that sport, telling you the implications and letting you know what's going on behind the scenes and why that might have happened. It's, it's a different experience to me, at least. Yeah, I think that's a good metaphor. I think, you know, it's, it's, you know, I mean, I think it's why, look, <laughs> this is the part where half of your audience turns off when I tell people that I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan. But, um, you know, it, it, it is, it, you know, when you hear somebody like Tony Romo giving, you know, a, you know, the color uh, in, a, in a live football game, 
you get a different perspective, right? You get the perspective of someone who's there can actually look at the formations and can call the plays because he was a player versus when you've got somebody who's literally just been calling, you know, a sports broadcaster forever and ever who has experience, who certainly has seen the market from a 50,000 foot view, but there's just a different, sometimes it's better. Sometimes it's worse, quite frankly. Um, but it's different, certainly uh, finding the, the, unique perspective that you know a practitioner brings to the table versus those that are you know literally analysts or you know those who you know those who haven't done right yeah well um speaking of of slight differences or what somebody might think of as a slight difference that that i think makes all the differences you know um being a content marketing nerd reading the blogs reading the books over the years to me there was something so special about content market about killing marketing the book and you know, our, 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 my listeners know that I'm a real audiobook nerd and, and uh, I'm constantly talking about books. And, and out of maybe, if you, if you don't count the, you know, 250 Jason Bourne genre books I've listened to, okay, just the business books is probably, <laughs> uh, you know, 700 plus business books in the last dozen years. And your Killing Marketing is absolutely the number one marketing book I recommend to CEOs and friends every time. And to me, it's just, there's such an efficiency in this idea of um, a lot of people have heard the stats on how well somebody else has done with content and this. And so in my observation, they go hire some, you know, 21 year old intern and tell them to make some posts, you know, thinking that that's an answer. And yet when you guys talk about the real business implications of somebody like a Red Bull or, you know, a Bloomberg, a Lego, anybody who actually built a media company instead of just putting out some fluff posts and how it's, it's a, revenue center instead of a cost center like the inner investor in me was just like perked up so much and uh as i've read the book multiple times and you know tried to watch documentaries and stuff you guys put out the story of content and things like this it really has sunk into me like because i have friends who work at bloomberg and uh, i have a different friend who worked at red bull and like it's like it looks like the same sport as everybody who's quote-unquote doing content marketing but the more I've dug into it, it really almost feels like you can't even compare the two. Do you see it differently or, or how would you describe it? Well, it's one of those things where, you know, I, I would I would say there's a, there's a few sort of layers to it. Um, you know, there are certainly people that are aware um, of what they're doing. You know, they are, they are aware that they're, that they're shifting a strategy that they're creating valuable content for audiences um, and using that ability to deliver value early, to build trust early, and certainly drive their business forward for whatever reason, right? So they've, you know, they've typically seen the books, they've they've seen websites, they've seen others doing it, and they are looking to replicate that strategy by applying it themselves. But there are others, certainly earlier versions of this and there are certainly others today that are doing content marketing without even realizing they're doing content marketing and you know i mean red bull is a great example of this you know you they would have never said oh yeah we're doing a content marketing strategy they just understood from the very beginning as they started to create you know the you know the in the early days when they were creating racing forms um in print um and you know creating these programs that would be accompanying you know the the sporting events that they were sponsoring that it worked that just something something about delivery of an extra kind of customer experience and content 
um, actually drove brand affinity, drove revenue, drove sales. And looking at that function of the business as something strategic became just part of who they were. And they would have never called it content marketing or understood even what they were doing. They would just say, hey, we're doing great marketing. And, and then there are others that are still resistant, right? There are still that are still resistant to this idea because it feels weird to somehow create a portion of their business, a strategic function in their business that is not focused on the product or not focused on the brand or not focused on communicating um, the value of the product or the brand in, in everything they do. And so if you look at those layers and say, you know, there is a level of education and or inspiration and or utility that, you know, that we want to provide to either say, hey, look in the mirror, this is you, or hey, look here, this is something you can replicate, or hey, here's something that's new you need to consider. The whole idea of killing marketing was really just to say, we've recognized the pattern. You know, we can see the pattern that's gone on for the last, call it, you know, decade or 20 years. Or if you even look back, you know, sort of the whole theme of our podcast is that this has been going on for a hundred years. You know, the pattern is there of companies that are doing this. And at the end of the day, we kind of don't care what it's called. I mean, we, we call it content marketing just to have something to refer to. But at the end of the day, the, the, the idea is, is that it's transforming marketing, you know, and as a fanboy and a, and a unapologetic fanboy of marketing, transforming marketing from something that has grown up over the last 40 years into something that most businesses don't value very much and try to spend very little to actually do it, that it doesn't have to be that way, that it doesn't have to be uh, marketing as a function in the business does not have to be always a cost center or as some CEOs will say to me, marketing is a tax that I have to pay. Um, you know, it doesn't have to be that way. It can be something that not only draws in revenue, but actually, you know, saves the company money. It, it, it can be a profit center. Well, um, to me, you know, it's, I, I really like you using that word trust. I think about, you know, in, in my observation, the vast majority of entrepreneurs and, and large businesses, you know, I remember I was in my management consulting days, I was at one of the, you know, largest tech companies in the world with over 100,000 staff kind of company, right? And I sat in a room with like 23 people for like six hours straight and listening to them talk about their content. And it was like mystifying that it was like more and more ways to try and shove their latest product down somebody's throat. And I was just like, what, what is going on in this room, you know, and where you talk about trust. And like, to me, I think about, you know, people who really, instead of trying to compete with their competitors, you know, kind of lame blog post, they're trying to compete with the media out there. They're like, people can trust if I come here, this is going to be either really entertaining, or this is going to be really um, helpful in some way, like actually practical or something. And it's so easy to see why people come back to that over and over. When you trust there's going to be something in it for me, not just something in it for the brand. Like I, I'm going to that out of self-interest, right? Any, any thoughts or, or what would you say different there? Yeah. I mean, I mean, so it's where we focus almost all of our efforts um, because it's, a, it's one that people can get their head around, um, you know, in terms of value. Um, and it's also one that is notably right now, you know, in short supply, right? Um, 
you know, in terms of, you know, Edelman does their trust barometer every year. Um, and last year, meaning 2019, uh, I believe was the lowest that it, you know, the barometer had ever been. And so you can feel this, right? <clears throat> you know, even where we sit today, we've lost trust in institutions. We've lost trust in, you know, our religious organizations. We've lost tr trust in friends. We've lost trust in the media. We've, you know, trust is really low right now. And while that's a, you know, sad place for our culture, it's an incredible opportunity for us as brands to take that responsibility to become the trusted source of interesting things for our, uh, for our consumers. And that idea of pulling trust forward, which was always, you know, if you go back and look at the history of marketing um, and you, you know, if, if you like the sort of moments of truth um, that were typically developed by Procter and Gamble back in the seventies, you know, you had your first moment of truth and your second moment of truth, which is where you selected a product. And then once where you, once you selected the product, you, you know, you started to trust the experience that that product gave you. And so you bought more. Those are the first and second moments of truth. And then of course, Google famously introduced their zero moment of truth, which is upon search, which do you trust to go click through to, you know, start your buying journey. And the idea of content and delivery of valuable content and developing that trust early is trying to move that second moment of truth forward. How much further can we move it forward? Because if we can move it forward, in other words, if I can deliver value first to you as a consumer, well, then everything else becomes easier. In other words, if I say, <laughs> trust me, you're going to love this link that I'm going to send you to. Or if I say, trust me, this product has got you know the teeth whitening experience you really want. And you already trust me because I've delivered value to you through a content-driven experience. It just makes that persuasion easier. And so as we've always said, content marketing itself is not you know, necessarily that valuable. The key is, is that it works in concert with everything else you're doing to make everything else you're doing easier, better, simpler, cheaper, more effective, and more powerful. Man, I love it. I feel like that right there is like a book. Just that last paragraph is... There's just so much in that. <laughs> well, it, it is like if it, I just feel like if people could get that in their bones, there's <laughs> there's just a lot more revenue with a lot less stress that business owners could be achieving. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's as simple as this. Right. You know, I mean, I, I, I tell this story, uh, you know, if, if any chance I get. The, the simplest example of this was I was in a cab. So I travel a lot. I don't travel a lot these days right now for sure. But but in my general work, I travel a lot. And I got into a taxi cab um, and it was the morning of an appointment that I was going to, you know, to go visit a client. And then of course, in the afternoon, I'm going to, you know, get in a cab and go to the airport. So as is typical, I'm driving in the cab, you know, um, on my way from the airport to the hotel. And the, as is also typical, the cab driver says to me, you know, hey, do you want to ride tomorrow? Are you going anywhere tomorrow? And I said, well, yeah, I'm actually going out to my client and here's the address and blah, blah, blah. And, and he did that just as we pulled up to the hotel. And what he did was he handed me his business card. And usually at that moment, that's when the cab driver says, call me, right? Call me if you mm -hmm. want to ride. He didn't do that. What he did was he said, listen, I'm going to be here tomorrow. I'm just going to show up and take you to your thing. And if you want to cancel, call me, um, <laughs> but I'll be here. And that was just such a wonderful way to deliver value first. In other words, he's not making me call. He's not making me remember. 
He's just basically saying, listen, I'm already, you know, I'm already going to, I'm just going to deliver value. I'm going to put my trust in you that you're going to show up that, you know, you're not going to, you know, throw away my business card. And, and if you don't show up, that's on me, right? But I'm delivering value first. And that delivery of value first made everything else for him easier because guess what? I not only used him for my ride going to the client, I used him for my ride going from the client back to the airport. So he got three trips, three return, you know, um, transactions mm -hmm. out of that one simple thing. That's the kind of thing we can do with content consistently and just make everything else we do easier. Well, you think about the value of that, right? Like, you know, you're, you're almost like tapping into human survival instincts. Like anything we can, it, I mean, I don't know if you see it this way, but it seems like anything we can do to reduce struggle for someone else is seen as like, there, there's like a natural wiring that people are attracted towards it, right? Because it increases survival in general. And you think about, um, like, I, you know, I don't know how many sponsor messages I've heard from your guys' advertisers, but it's been a lot over the years, right? And I happily sit through them because my struggle in building our businesses gets reduced because you, you guys, like, I don't even have to try. I am subscribed to your stuff. It automatically shows up. And you guys have done the work to think through strategy and ideas that I should be considering for my business instead of me having to go hunt them, right? You've reduced the struggle for me to try and figure out what I should be doing next. And I'll happily sit through your sponsor message, which is paying you guys, because you've reduced my struggle so much, right? Yeah. I mean, that's, well, <laughs> that's, the, that's the idea anyway, is that, you know, you know, you're delivering, you know, you're delivering some sort of good experience. Um, and, you know, the, and, and then, and then the idea of, of, uh, certainly that we bring forth in killing marketing is that some of those experiences and this, and the, our podcast is a, you know, is, is a good example of this. Some of those experiences will and can be monetized. Right. And so the idea was, you know, since, since we began, Content Marketing Institute, the whole idea was, can you create a marketing strategy that continues to pay for itself? In other words, you know, oh, yeah. the, the, you know and, and creating those experiences at very specific parts of the journey. You know, so for example, the, you know, the goal of the podcast, you know, not so much anymore, just because it's now it's really more of a labor of love for Joe and I than it is for, than it is actually a business strategy of, uh, you know, of, uh, of Content Marketing Institute. But at one point, when it really was the strategy of Content Marketing Institute, the whole goal of the podcast was to build up excitement and to do exactly what you just said, to make, you know, to reduce the friction and reduce the struggle of people to get engaged with the idea of content marketing. And so the hope was that people listening to the podcast would go engage with the website, would go engage more deeply, subscribe to the email newsletter, subscribe to the blog and subscribe to the, the, the website so that they would become then addressable audiences that would then have, you know, valuable value to us as, you know, to be able to monetize over time. And putting those things together, you know, and saying, okay, well, that's the business goal of the podcast, but then being able to say, 
can we monetize that? Can we actually create content so good that people will sit through a, you know, will sit through a sponsored, you know, message because they're getting that much value out of it. They want, they, you know, they not only want it and to convert off of it, but they want it and they, they're willing to sit through a, a sponsored, you know, message as a, uh, as a, uh, you know, as a result of that. That's, you know, and that's certainly not a new idea. That idea has been around for a long time, like we talked about at the top of the show. But the idea of being able to actually execute against it in many ways, when we talk to clients and we talk to new businesses, is such a foreign idea, right? They're just like, wow, really? That people will do that. And it's like, well, yeah, they will if you are good at it, if you actually, you know, get, you know, get skilled enough at being able to create that kind of experience. People will not only sit through messages, they'll, you know, they'll pay for it. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Well, um, Listen, I think this is a great part to great place to stop for part one of the interview. Um, maybe to close off here, you know, I know you got best-selling books. You speak to thousands of people at the events. You get interviewed for all sorts of things. Um, what's a question that you don't get asked enough? What's something you want to talk about more that that maybe people aren't asking as much as they should? I think the number it's 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 a question that people don't know that they're asking that they're actually asking. Um, and what I mean by that is that. In almost every case, um, and we can certainly get into the details of this uh, in a bit, but but certainly what the, the the question is typically, how do I you know how do I scale this? I don't have time for this. I'm a marketing department of one. I don't know how to measure this. I don't you know how to uh, you know we don't have time for a blog. We don't have we don't have the resources to be able to do this. We're too busy creating brochures to be able to do this. Those complaints. As and the and the questions that come out of them are really based in a question that they're really asking, which is how do I establish an operating model for content that makes sense? And that's the real question that I think people should ask more. It's what we focus on a lot these days, because all those sort of ancillary complaints that we hear about not being able to fill in the blank are all centered in that one question. I love it. I, well, let, let's dive in on this. I think we should spend a lot of time on this for, for part two. So everybody, please tune in for part two of our interview, and we're going to dive deeper into that question. Thanks. <laughs>